I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Folks, basketball is very good, and it's a beautiful day. Chilly day to talk about basketball, but uh, anytime I get to talk hoops with this brilliant fella, uh, it warms my day up. My, uh, my buddy John Sharks is with me. John, how you doing? I'm doing good. It's pretty cold in Dallas also. New year, new weather for everyone. How chilly are we talking down there? Are we talking? I know you guys, you guys, are you one of those like freak out when it gets cold states? Is that? Yes, I hate, I hate being cold. I'm not about it at all. But like, like systemically, the state doesn't really handle snow well from what I can tell you. Well, I mean, I don't know if you remember last year, Kyle. <laughs> I was there was say, this ice storm in Texas. <laughs> Have you heard about it? Didn't you guys kind of fall apart when it got a little yeah, cold? Yeah, it, it got pretty bad there for a sec. For sure. Well, yeah, it's a new year. And hey, if you're, you know, I don't think I did this last week. This is a newer show. Maybe you were with us last year. We sort of rebranded it, repurposed it a little bit. This uh, the show is called Upside High. My name is Jay Kyle Mann. Uh, and what we like to talk about, and this is something John and I have talked about even before I worked at The Ringer, is we really like development. The draft, young players coming into the league. Who's coming up? What does it take to succeed? What are the conversations around that? How is that changing all the time? Because I do think that it changes all the time. It's an evolving thing, and uh, it's interesting to see those new players come in, and we like to talk about them. Uh, so lately, you know, we, we, we were out in Vegas. We came back. We were talking about some of the big headline names uh, that are in this class, uh, this class that just got into the, the, the league, these rookies. Um, now I wanted to, today I wanted to ask you about a couple different guys, one that's on the horizon, one that's in the league. Um, Jonathan Kaminga is somebody that we kind of brushed on, uh, briefly the other day. Uh, he's, he's an interesting player who, uh, who reclassed, I think he was the top of his class and then reclassed and, uh, was near the top again is, has been sort of, um, I feel like the, the the fault line in the discussion on Kuminga has been, do you believe? Because there hasn't been a lot of like certainty. There have been a lot of reasons to maybe believe. And then a lot of people were really skeptical. I know I had a hard time getting on board with Kuminga. Lately, um, we, you know, we talked about him around the draft, things like that. I don't think we need to necessarily rehash that right now. But lately, I feel like there's been some positivity bubbling up around Jonathan Kuminga. Um, and it, probably in the past maybe month, why do you, John, why do you think that is, uh, and do you believe in it? Well, for one, he's getting to play. That's probably the main thing. <laughs> so he's definitely been a beneficiary of all the um, COVID stuff, all the guys getting called up, and he's been a pretty big part of the Warriors rotation over the last few weeks. He had a game against the Raptors where they had COVID guys, and they kept their veterans, they benched their veterans. He ended up playing like 40 minutes. So he had 26 points in that one. 
And then he had a lot of, he got a lot of run in Christmas Day. And people are sitting to watch him play and for a lot of folks for the first time. And the thing with Kaminga, when you watch him play, it's like this guy is incredibly athletic. It's just, you can't not talk about it. Who were your comps for him before the draft? I know I, I said some pretty borderline offensive comps just to kind of test the waters that, you know, just like throw something against the electric fence to see if it was on. Uh, Who'd you have? Because I didn't have a great comp for him. I said I had a particularly down night with him uh, where I was I was pretty frustrated with what I was seeing. And I specifically remember, ta- do not take this away and say that this is what my comp was. But in in anger, I said this. I said that he's a rich man's Al Farouk <laughs> Do you remember hey, okay, that? That's not terrible. <laughs> no, I don't I don't keep track of this stuff. But that's not a terrible comp. They're different kinds of players. But he's got like the six eight, six nine, super athletic wing. Yeah. I think with Kaminga, where you want to start, Golden State's basically playing him like a center. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where his value is right now anyways, because he really can't shoot right now. He's not a great perimeter player. He can dribble, but he doesn't have a great feel for the game. Not really a passer. If he just getting green light to shoot a lot, he's just going to shoot a lot. And he's best around the basket where he can use his size and athletic ability to finish inside. And I think that's really his best use right now. In terms of play style, I feel like he kind of plays like Anthony Edwards, actually, in a way. Does that make sense? Where he's just, like, trying to get buckets at all costs and not really playing a complete game right now? Um, Yeah, I think there's definitely, like, a blend of crazy athleticism, like, cooking people, sort of. I mean, he's leaning on that. He really leans on, and that's what he did before. You can see um, the game is going to have to slow down for him because players that play at that speed inevitably once they get to the highest level and it's like you filter out the guys who are like lesser athletes who don't know how to play you just keep like refining the competition to the point where it's like okay now we have great athletes and they know how to play those guys are going to be in the right spot they're going to know tricks like i don't know if you've ever heard like brian scalabrini talk about like how challenging it is to play in the nba like how much work he had to do even him like one of the lower you know like a bench player so it's just kind of like th- that's that's what he's dealing with right now. Um, and I was looking at the position here. It's kind of the, war- the Warriors are interesting with the way they use their bigs. I mean, it's a fifty. Basketball Reference has him fifty eight percent of his time is as a power forward, and then seventeen is as as a center. But I, I agree with you. It's kind of like you would think that the upside of him would be uh, as a center. You would think that you've got this super switchable, quick guy that would give you like crazy defensive versatility you know the Warriors have been like probably an underrated defensive team I would say this year Draymond's been incredible um Mm -hmm. you you mentioned though that like his shooting and that like if he has it he's gonna shoot it do you think that they are how do you think they're repurposing his like actual like usage in the sense of like play like the types of schemes the types of actions they put him in are they repurposing him in a way that is like setting him up to succeed? Is that kind of what, what you're saying? To a degree. I mean, I think Golden State is a very unique team in that they get a lot of their space. I mean, Steph is spacing it and they have a lot of guys who don't shoot on the perimeter. So they kind of invert a lot of the normal responsibilities. And I think it's just tough for him because he's competing. So a good example is we're recording this on a Tuesday. Golden State played Miami on Monday night. And in the first half, Kaminga got the run, was very up and down, lost guys on defense. He played like six or seven minutes. In the second half, he didn't play at all. And they played Juan Toscano Anderson instead. And he's, I think where he's really going to have trouble in Golden State is, and I think Wiseman too is the same issue. Golden State plays these kind of funky Bruce Brown types and JTA and Gary Payton the second, And those guys are such smart players. They're great athletes, too. And they're good passers. They're just better fits for Golden State's system. I'm just not sure how many minutes, when this team is healthy, Kaminga's going to get or really earn. Yeah, I think, and what I was noticing, too, is, my, I mean, Miami is another team that has, like, a great scheme. They have you know, that have a lot of kind of purposeful off-ball movement. You notice that, like, a lot of Kaminga's usage this year has been catching, like, off of off the catch, off spot-ups, attacking in space after the ball has already been humming. Like, we know the Warriors, the ball hums. Their offense is a lot of passes. I think they lead the league in, like, passes per possession. 
uh, they've had the most, I was studying this recently, they've had the most, like, I think it was like 10 or more passes. They've had the most possessions where there's been 10 or more passes, which is crazy to think about the ball moving that many times in a 24-second clock. But um, he, a lot of it, like that purposeful, like clever cutting, I was noticing last night that uh, he, you, you would think that if he was clever to a certain degree that he would get a lot of easy ones. Um, and for him, I think that's really important. He was kind of like a second, like a second late, or realizing that he could get open, like a second late. Um, have you noticed that? Like, what do you, what do you think about his, or do you think that it needs to be like, uh, like an off ball development, and then we'll move to the on ball stuff? And is he even going to get that at Golden State? When would he even get it on a good team? That is the real question, right? And I don't really, I think we were talking about development. It's going to be very fascinating to watch for. Kaminga and Wiseman because they're both such great athletes and they kind of where they're lacking a little bit is basketball IQ and feel for the game. And so it's now that now they're in this system where it's all about basketball IQ and feel for the game, where it's such a high IQ intensive system. You know, Steve Kerr loves his veterans. He wants like, because they're in they're in the kind of roles that Sean Livingston used to have when Andre Godalo was better, David West. Those are the kind of players that fit Golden State system with Steph and Draymond. And so can Kaminga and Wiseman learn that stuff? Or are they better off playing freer in a system where you can just use your athletic ability and there's less cutting, less passing, less thinking? Yeah, it's almost like some players need to be saved from themselves because whenever they're coming up, it's like we see these like crazy athletic specimens um, they're probably going to be growing up in a situation where they are the focus, they are the biggest fish in the pond, and therefore they're going to get reps where they are set up to do that. And then they kind of get it in. The, it may not be the most kind of productive way to go about it, I guess. Um, it's inevitable, like I said, like an Anthony Edwards, like he's always going to have the ball in his hands, whereas it might have been good for him to to be developing in a situation where he was getting those off-ball things. Because some of these guys, like when they when they develop heavily on ball, their whole life and they don't experience like playing with other good players or in a good system. They just kind of go into low power mode, like, like, a, like a robot mm-hmm. that's been unplugged. I mean, we've seen that with Luca as brilliant a basket. Yeah, I, I guess even what, what I'm, my point is that like even high IQ players really aren't necessarily safe uh, from, from that, that plight. Um, but I think for him, like you can't overstate or understate, I always forget which way to do that, but uh, you can't emphasize enough how important it is for a guy like Kuminga to get easy buckets, and like the Warriors are a great situation for him in that sense. My question, if you were Golden State and you had to pick Kuminga or Wiseman, who would you pick? Kuminga. I mean, I don't even know hesitation. Okay, you think, that, you, you think that's the most hesitation at all? Interesting. You, why do you, what do you, how do you feel about that? I mean, I think I would take Kuminga too, but I'm just a little surprised it was that easy for you to say that. Uh, well, I mean, I just thought Wiseman was just a bad fit for them. Now, I I know some people had, like, Wiseman around the draft, like, way down in, like, the middle of the first round. I still think that there's a world where Wiseman is applicable to, you know, at least a good team. Um, I don't I don't think that that's in, like, a primary role. I think his, like, his kind of disabusement of being like a star is going to be hard for him. Maybe his expectations as a player are going to come down. The problem, I guess, for Golden State is, are you even going to get, you know, we always talk about like cents on the dollar for a player whenever we trade him. What are you going to get at this point? Do, do you think that they've improved? I'm, I'm assuming you're saying that they're going to move one of them or both of them. I don't even know. I'm just thinking big picture because I'm talking about like, oh, if Kaminga's going to play as a center, well, they already have a center they're trying to develop too, right? So it's just like, it feels like Kaminga and Wiseman both need the same role on this team. And so I just wonder if they'll have to prioritize one or the other when push comes to shove. Yeah. I, I Even before Kaminga got here, I guess the, the value conversations about Wiseman were already going on. Um, can you think of a better mentor? I was thinking about this. Can you think of a better mentor for Jonathan Kuminga than Draymond Green? Like, could you could you cook one up in the, a lab? I mean, what do you think that's... I, I honestly think that Draymond, I don't have any direct information on this, like his impact on Wiggins, I think, and their system on Wiggins has been huge, that like he's getting the right type of 
he's getting the right kind of cultural kind of influence and the right kind of coaching. Um, I mean, it's, it does seem on paper like Draymond is like the perfect sort of mentor for Kaminga. What do you think? Uh, I don't know because one, Draymond's, you know, one of the best players in the league. He's trying to win a championship. I don't know how much time he really has for that right now. It is not like he's in the mentor stage of his career. Two, Draymond don't shoot anymore. I think Wiggins is a good shooter, so it works well. Draymond can set up Wiggins for shots. Well, Draymond don't really shoot anymore. Kaminga's not really a shooter either. So it's kind of the same spots on the floor. So I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think Kaminga needs to play. I think Wise needs to play too. And that's something else I'm very curious. I think Golden State will be really interesting to watch over the next couple of years, beyond the fact that they're awesome, is just how much does playing matter for these guys? Will they be able to develop from the bench? Do they need that burn in games? Will they stagnate without playing time or will they actually get better? I don't know. Yeah, and if they do get better, uh, what what is the best for them long term? I, I guess just kind of you talked about the shooting right now. I mean, on the season, he has been a 29% three-point shooter. He had like a five-game stretch around Christmas, which you were talking about, like the co- the COVID beneficiary thing. It's always weird to say people benefit from COVID, but that's any crisis. You know, there's going to be somebody's going to benefit in some way. But during that, he had a 10-game, uh, like a 10-day stretch where he was averaging 11 points, uh, shooting 64.4% true shooting, 50% from three. As a shooter, do you do you believe in him as a shooter? Do you think the upside is there? I mean, he doesn't have like a broken shot or anything, but I'm not going to believe in anyone who shoots free throws like he shoots. So right now he's at 56%. I don't think he was very high in the G League last year either. Let me look this up. I can't remember anymore. Yeah, in the G League last year he shot 62%, and this year he's shooting 50, 54 in the NBA. So... Anyone who shoots that from the free throw, I'm not going to believe in their three-point shot pretty much as a rule. Yeah, I have a hard time getting behind the dribble creation for him, like like him creating his own. I can I can believe that in some world, I mean, like Golden State has I mean, he had, can straight line drive for sure. He can definitely do that, like straight line drive to the rim and dunk it. If he can be a switchable active defender, which I think that he's shown more activity on that, on that side of the floor in this short sample with, and that, that was kind of what I was getting at in terms of like, this is great for him just because he's in a place where just even if Draymond doesn't uh, doesn't say a word to him all season, if he's an impressionable, impressionable, ambitious person, he's going to at least going to get some positive influence there. But if he can be a switchable five, and we really think that he can, I mean, he's a crazy athlete. He can guard all five positions. He's really flexible in his hips. He's super strong. You don't really usually get that combo all the time. But then if he can hit catch and shoot threes, and be a straight line driver, like you said, um, that's a valuable player, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I would love to see him as like a roll man. They don't do a lot of pick and roll in this offense too much. I think they're like the lowest pick and roll team in the league or something. But I think that's where his value is going to be early in his career is pick and roll, cut into the basket, setting up one, two dribble, finish at the rim. I think that's where you're going to get your money from Kaminga right now. Yeah, and and I think once once the once the ball goes to him right now, it's just kind of like he is the in. He's a finisher. He's somebody that he, he's not a, a a chef like I've that metaphor I've used in the past. He's he's a patron. He he eats what's in front of him, and it's like and you can see that from his. You know, this is one of my favorite stats: the assist to usage point one five, which is one of the lowest for somebody that that has a lot of promise. You okay, know, you want to break that down? It's a good stat. Break it down for people. Explain that a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the people, a lot of people probably know, maybe some don't, but this assist usage is just like, how many assists are you getting? Like how, how pass first are you as a player? Basically how much? Okay. So your, your usage rate divided by your assist rate, is that what you're doing? Uh, it's assist rate divided by usage rate. I'm pretty positive is the way okay, Glass gotcha. does it. Um, but it's, it just kind of gives me a, a feel for how wasteful of a player you are a lot of times, you know, like how, how quick it, it's a good sort of measurement of quick decisions. Um, I was joking about like Candace Parker on the broadcast, the NBA TV broadcast last night was talking about Draymond's ability to like quickly make a decision when, mm-hmm. while barely having the ball. Jokic is another example of this, like players that just, they don't stay on the ball quickly and they still make good decisions, which is harder to do than I think people realize. 
But um, Kaminga right now, he's For just, sure. he's at square zero <laughs> on that front. Yeah. And I think what I like about that stat is ultimately basketball is a zero-sum game. There's only one ball and there's five players. So when you have the ball a lot, like it's like, you know, I just watched Spider-Man, you know, great power, great responsibility, blah, blah, blah. When you have the ball a lot, you have the responsibility to move it as well. You can't just always hold it. So like for me, if a guy's high usage, I want to see a high assist rate too. Because that means he's playing within the team concept, not just jacking shots. And you can be a guy who's high usage and low assists, but you better be an uber, uber, uber efficient scorer, right? Because what it comes down to is you got to make the most of your opportunities because this ain't, this ain't baseball where everybody gets the same amount of chance on the plate. And it's all even. Like, no, basketball, the ball has to move. And if you have the ball a lot, it's a responsibility. That means somebody else has it less. It means you got to make the most of your time with the ball. Either you're passing it or you're scoring very efficiently. So Kaminga showing a lot of promise. Like we said, the returns are early. They've been positive, but you know we want to see more. We're eager to see more. But it's been it's been uh, it, it's been nice to see him him flourish and kind of uh, uh, maximize his limited role on Golden State. And I'm eager to see what he does forward. But John, the point you were making about uh, making the most of your usage in a limited role is a great setup for the next guy that we want to talk about, Chet Holmgren. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to take a break. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man. I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. So Chet Holmgren uh, is a guy who got famous... I feel like people, casual basketball fans and like really, into, he, he has an overlap. He, he fascinates the people who are hardcore nerds and he's an interesting player. Um, but Charks, you wrote a really, he's a unique, interesting player. You, you wrote a really great piece the other day on the ringer.com. What a great website about, about Chet. And in it, you said that he was, we, we in t- unintentionally, I think, rehashed the conversation that we had about a player not too long ago. You said that uh, that Chet is a seven foot Tyrese Halliburton. What did you mean by that? Okay, uh, I guess to go back a little bit, most people at this point know about Chet. Chet first got famous for crossing up Steph Curry in an All Star game. I think he was like seventeen. He was a high school junior. He was like seven foot one fifty or something. And he just like doing up Steph, gets to the rim and dunks. It was all over Sports Center, and everyone's like, "What the heck is this?" Like, who's this weirdo, like, pencil man crossing up Steph Curry? And then the legend of Chet has built ever since. He was number one player in his class in the last two years. He was the guy. I mean, everyone was kind of looking up to him. He's seven foot one, so literally doing that. This summer, he wins U19 gold. He's the MVP of the tournament. Goes, goes to Gonzaga. So he played basketball with Jalen Suggs in high school in Minnesota. So then he follows Suggs to Gonzaga. Now he's at Gonzaga. 
he's going to be a top three pick pretty much no matter what. And now it's like everyone's trying to figure out what he is at the next level. And yeah, he's such a fascinating player. And I guess so the Halliburton stuff, the point I was making was that so at Gonzaga this year, it's interesting because Gonzaga is his powerhouse team. It's not a team where a freshman can come in and just be the guy. Gonzaga's got a lot of guys who are good. They pretty much always have two or three NBA prospects on their team. They share the ball really well. Look at Jalen Suggs last year. Suggs is like maybe the third or fourth option over the course of the season. He wasn't their primary scorer. And now this year, been the same thing for Chet. So right now at Gonzaga, and I talk about in the article, the best way to think about Chet at Gonzaga is Gonzaga has a big man named Drew Timmy. Who's the man there? He was an All-American last year. He's a junior. He's a traditional post scorer. He's actually from Dallas, so got to give Timmy some love. And Timmy's kind of like DeMontis Sabonis. He's a power forward, post-up guy, needs the ball, not a shooter, not really a defender. And they, they're kind of using Chet like Miles Turner. And they're having Chet compliment Timmy. And Chet's not really going to getting to be the man. Chet's kind of had to find his own way, create his own offense off his own hustle. And I called him a seven-foot Tyrese Halliburton because what's happening this year at Gonzaga is he has a very small role, but he's uber, uber, uber efficient. His true shooting is off the charts. He don't take a lot of shots, but the shots he takes, he makes. He don't hardly ever miss either. So you want to run through his numbers, Kyle, because his numbers are ridiculous. Yeah, you said true shooting, 68.5 true shooting. Um, he's 35.1% from three. I want to talk to you more about that. Um, but the thing that you were talking about with, with a big guy, especially the assist to usage for him, 0.7, uh, very good for how little he's touching the ball and his role at this point. For reference, a year ago, Evan Mobley was 0.62. Um, so he's, and Drew Timmy, like you were saying, very dominant, like a very post-dominant player, 46.3% of his possessions. And he's not a great pass out guy. That's kind of the, one of the dynamics I really wanted to talk to you, with you about. If he was okay, hold on one second. Yeah. With I think the number I wanted you to say, which you didn't say, is okay. So here's a good comparison. Well, I'm so sorry. right now, Chet. Well, thank you for apologizing. <laughs> I appreciate that. So Chet right now is shooting 76 percent from two point range. That's your favorite number lately. Two percent number. Yeah, yeah, I'm all about it. It's absolutely preposterous to shoot 76% from two-point range. That's but The only people who shoot like that are pretty much, it's like your Mitchell Robinsons, guys who literally just catch and dunk, do pick and rolls, catch lobs, and finish. So as like for Chet, I think a good comparison point. So the other top guys in this draft is, is uh, Paolo Bonchero at Duke, Jabari Smith at Auburn. So Chet's shooting 76% from two. Paolo's shooting 54%. And Jabari's shooting 46%. And it's not to dunk on those other two guys. The point is just that's how efficient Chet is. It's like a magnitude higher in terms of efficiency than anybody else. He's dunking, and not to like overwhelm people <laughs> to death here, but he's dunking 41.1% of the time. So it's you're right. It's not like he's like dunk everything. He does have some touch around the rim. I'm curious, I think going forward, uh, what what do you think his like does he have a primary, like, implied mode of offense going forward? We're talking about him, like, making the most of limited touches. I think that he would probably thrive more and get more easy buckets if he was playing with a five that could get him some easy ones. Because, like we were saying, Timmy is pretty much, he's a really efficient post score, and you can see why Gonzaga wants to win a title. They're trying to get over that hump. They're probably not going to, you know, say, hey, Timmy, take a freaking hike. Their best bet probably even though Baylor kind of humiliated him defensively last year, and they might do it again this year. We'll see. What do, what do you think if if Chet were left to his own devices on, on a, a team, maybe a lesser team in college, what do you think his primary mode of offense is going forward? Like, what would it be at college, and then what do you expect it to be in the NBA? Well, that's what makes it such an interesting conversation because – so I, I, I talk about in the piece, it's a hypothetical off a hypothetical. We don't know what it would look like. And there's not really a great example in the NBA because Chet's such a unique player. So even if Chet was in a primary role in college and he was dominating, there'd still be a lot of conversation of 
would this work in the NBA? How many seven foot one, 200 pound centers are there, right? It doesn't even really make sense. So even if he was the primary guy, people would still ask a billion questions about, can this translate? Except now he's not the primary guy at all. So you're having to guess what he would be in college so that you can guess what he'd be in the NBA. So it's like multiple levels of guessing. And that's the thing. It's like, I don't know because there's not really a comparison for him, right? Like the kind of things Chet does, what's the comparison for Chet? Like there's not one, right? People talk a lot about his body type. Porzingis is one that comes up a lot. Do you, do you like that one? Dislike that one? No, I don't. I, I think Chet's got a way higher feel for the game than Porzingis. Porzingis is kind of more in that Kaminga line where he gets his buckets and that's kind of it. He's not really a passer or a feel player. Chet's a very, very high feel player. Very smart. It's funny to watch just the trail of negativity for Porzingis because, <laughs> because in New York City, it was just like they were ready to build a statue of him on the top of Madison Square Garden. Like, that's where Jesus is coming back. Like, that's the most holy place on earth. And then when he leaves, there, everybody's just like, fuck him, hate him, get out of here. He sucks. And then it's and then the same thing, Dallas people, not to get into Porzingis thing here, but Dallas people. That's, yeah. I can't even. Come on, baby. And now your, your negativity. I don't have the I don't have the energy for it. KP's been great this year. That's a whole different conversation. It is, it is. But I think uh, the physicality is a question. Like, I, I mean, uh, whether or not he's going to be able to put, he is very, very skinny. And even like physically, you know, at least KP has put on a, some muscle. We were talking about the difference between like, it's hard to tell with skinny guys when they're skinny at 17, 18, what they're going to do when they turn 25. We were talking about Jalen Green to like people wanted to say Zach Levine. Well, Zach Levine is like a, a truck now, but he has like that lean muscle and he didn't lose. It's just hard to know if, you, if you're going to be able to put on that lean muscle. Like Anthony Davis, very skinny in college, broad shoulders, put on a bunch of weight. He's stronger now, maybe, maybe a little too strong now. He's a little immobile. Injuries could be part of that too. I guess the weight thing, is that going to, because I mean, he's as skinny as Poku and Poku doesn't look like yes. he's put on an ounce since he's been in the league maybe he has but is do you think that like the speed and the physicality of the nba i think the duke game was kind of they have a lot of kind of sturdy athletes that are really explosive do you think that's have you seen anything this year that's going to make you think that, that that the physicality is going to be an issue for him going forward especially at his position well yeah i mean i talk about in the piece he really is blue chip poku right it's the same kind of frame except poku never really did anything for the nba Whereas Chet is like five-star, super pedigreed, dominated his age class his whole life kind of thing. So it's the same, but it's also different. And I don't know. I kind of want to believe in Chet. I, I, I find myself, the more I watched him, because before I did my article, I'd watched him, obviously. But I hadn't like watched him, watched him, and deep dived into him. Okay, so this is going to sound stupid, but bear with me. I will. So I... I started playing basketball again after going through chemo and I can't move anymore after going through that. Like not that I was ever very fast to begin with, but I definitely can't move anymore. And all I have now, so I'm six foot four. So when I'm playing pickup, I'm usually the tallest guy on the floor. So one thing I'm pretty good at, I I have a decent enough handle so I can get to spots, the spots where I want to get to shoot. So like what my game is now is I've realized if I'm taller than you, and I can dribble, it doesn't really matter how fast I'm going. Like, it doesn't. I can get to my spot and shoot over you. And if, then if you double me and I can pass, then I always have options. Point being, I think Chet at 18 already knows this. Like, Chet knows he plays at his own pace. He's got the physical advantage, and he has the skill set. So I don't know. I think everyone assumes that, oh, there's no way this can work in the NBA because we've never seen it before. But to me, that doesn't mean it can't work. I wonder if, and you, to me, I go back to that U19 game when he took over against Wenbanyama. And this is an example of, so Victor Wenbanyama, he's a seven foot three, kind of next Rudy Gobert. Most people think he'll be like a top two pick in the 2023 draft. More offensively talented Gobert, yeah. Yeah. But the same kind of thing as seven foot three elite defensive center. Yeah. And Chet just did him up when it came down to it because he's he ran him around screens. He caught the ball at 18 feet, dribbled twice, used the basket to protect him, caught the ball, like played on off the ball, moved the ball. And it's like 
the things Chet is doing at lower levels as seven foot one guard, I'm not sure can't work in the NBA. Like, obviously, it's different because you can't say for sure because we've never seen it before. But I'm also not willing to say that it can't work either. Yeah, I mean, we're coming back to that black swan fallacy thing that I've, I've talked with with people about in the past on other shows. But like, we we think that we because we haven't seen it that it couldn't happen again. And I think that the sh- the starting point for Chet, you were talking about his pace. I think in your mind when you think about somebody that that's that is that tall and you think about them dribbling, it's just like basically it just comes down to <laughs> like measurements at some point where you're like, if he's going to dribble like that, you assume that he's going to be really vulnerable. He's going to get out of control, things like that. I'm not saying he has like an elite handle, but I mean, for his size, he has a very good handle and he doesn't get it's sped up. right? Yeah, he doesn't really get sped up. He gets low to the ground. Um, he handles contact pretty well. The only time I ever see him kind of looking like contact might be bothering him is when people kind of like shove him under the rim. You know, you see that happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. He'll just get out of position because he's too skinny to claim his space. Another thing that we didn't mention is that Man, he is a seven foot six wingspan. And positionally, I think defensively, yeah. that's big because he's not as he he doesn't really fly around and get out of position. He seems to have a really good sense of the value of his length if he plays at a certain conservative kind of style. Because people, I was checking the post up numbers again on him. Like it, they have tried, let me see, I have this written. Teams have tried to post him up over the course of the year, and it's been basically it's it's been an abject failure. I mean, because he just he knows if he goes vertical, he can just swallow people up. So, but the, the point I was going to make though is just that like you're right that we are assuming a lot, but it's like all the starting points there. If you want to be optimistic and you want to say like upside at the top of the at the top of the draft, we want to pick like this guy could be a superstar. We haven't. To- the problem is that we haven't totally seen it, but the starting point for a lot of these skills are pretty good. Like I, I could believe him being a pick and pop shooter. I don't know how much about him being like a self created shooter. What do you, what do you think about the shooting? Because I feel like that's one of the big. If he turns into a pretty good shooter, um, I mean that, <laughs> that that's a pretty. Is, is there a disaster scenario for Chet like without the shooting? No, I don't think so, and I think that's what makes him such a good prospect. To go back a little bit, so you're talking about like his six, six foot six wingspan. And the number, when I was breaking down Evan Mobley last year, and the number I realized really told the tale was that he averaged more blocks than fouls. That is truly remarkable. Like that should not happen. Yeah, like basically, most young big men, they if they're gonna block a lot of shots, it's because they're fouling a lot too, because they're super aggressive. And then there's also guys who don't block a lot of shots. Also, they don't get a lot of fouls because they're not aggressive on defense, and that's bad too. The best of both worlds guy who can block a lot of shots while also being able to avoid fouls because that means he can play, be aggressive and also put under control. And so if I, I went and looked at from the article, like the last 10 years, the guys drafted top three in terms of block to foul ratio, and it was Davis, Chet, and Mobley, and a massive drop-off. Wow. Everybody else was like below one, basically. So Cat, Aiton, even Embiid. Embiid's a good example of this. Embiid got a ton of blocks in college, but he also fouled even more, mm-hmm. which made sense because he just started to play basketball. And that's the more normal trajectory. But when you have a guy like AD, Chad, or Mobley, who's blocking a ton of shots without fouling, that tells you he knows how to play basketball. Like He's just a really, really smart player. He knows how to use his length. And so to me with Chet, the floor is very high because of his defensive ability. Even if he can't be a traditional five, I think he can guard smaller fours. He's not like, he's fast enough. He's smart enough. He can contain those guys off the dribble. So that gives you a lot of different outs in terms of how to build around him, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I I think the high floor point is a really good one because this draft in particular, when you start to think about the people at the top, and we're going to have more and more conversations about this and parse the sample to try to hone in on who we who we think is going to go number one things like that when you think about the Halliburton effect of like this guy maximizes limited touch limited touches and he's like very efficient I have a hard time (laughs) thinking that this guy's going to be a bad NBA player like I have like you were saying I texted you last night was saying um, I've warmed up to him more in the past couple of weeks, just thinking about this thing, looking at the statistical profile, there's only like one other player and it's Jay Huff, 
who played for Virginia last year, who had like a similar game yeah. impact. Not nearly the same. Like I think the passing upside could be there. His passing touch is actually not bad at all. I could see his passing craft get good with either hand. Um, I feel pretty confident. I wanted to ask you something really interesting is just the teams that are going to be at the top of this draft. Yeah, maybe somebody gets up into this order. I doubt it. But we start looking at some of these fits. There are some really fascinating fits at the top of this draft. Is there one that jumps out to you? Is there a place that you see and you're just like, Chet would be amazing on this team? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, let me look at that for a second. I probably should prepare for this. No, it's <laughs> okay. I, 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 I blindsided you with it a little bit. But I mean, I, I'll go and tell you, there's a couple that really stand out to me. I said this to KOC um, on okay. his show. Houston is go the ahead. one. Who, what stands out in you? Houston, to me, sounds awesome. Like, I, I could see him being, I could see him playing in lineups with Shingun. I could see him supporting Jalen Green in the right ways. He gives you some more, I mean, he gives you length on defense. I think eventually if he grows into a spacer, I think that's a really fascinating fit. Did you have one that jumped out off the top of your head? Um, I think Chet fits anywhere. I'd love to see him with Cade. I think him and Cade would be awesome together. Uh, Houston would make sense too. I mean, really anywhere. I'd love to see him in Oklahoma City playing with Shea and Giddy. That'd be a very, very long, high IQ team. Oh, yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. I don't know. I mean, that, really, Chet could go anywhere. I don't know that he's going to be able to. <laughs> I don't know that he's going to be. OKC is going to be able to get up there to get him because they can't seem to be bad enough to get up there. That's been their problem. I mean, it's all. It's it's all luck, anyways. I mean, right. one of those top bottom eight teams could get it now. There's not really much you can do about it. But with this right. set numbers, you're right. Yeah, I mean, Cade, Cade hypothetically gives him the kind of partner that he needs. Um, that would that would be pretty fun. I actually think that like Portland is a sneaky team. That like if for some reason teams prioritized Jabari or Paolo over him, and somehow Portland like that's an interesting thing because he's a Pac Northwest kid. Uh, you know, throwing it's Minnesota true. in there, but uh, that's. Uh, I That's mean, an interesting Orlando, one. too, right? Play with Jalen Suggs, the old high school connection again. That might yeah. be fun. Yeah, that's a fun one, and I, I do like the OKC one. So uh, really, really quick before we wrap that up, uh, like, uh, do you, how do you feel just putting him on this, putting you on the spot here? How do you feel about Chet going number one? Right now, I mean, I have not, like, I've got to really break down Jabari, and you're doing a big Jabari Smith piece. Maybe we'll talk about that pretty soon. I've got to break down Jabari and Powell the same way, to be fair. I mean, I what I've seen from Chet, I've loved. And if right now, if I had to pick, I'd pick him one. But I also have not deep dived into those guys like I've dived into Chet. And there's definitely some times where the more you watch a guy, you kind of start to fall in love with him. You start to believe in him. I will say this, though. So one, one, when we were out in Vegas, and I, when I was talking to NBA folks about the draft and talking about Chet, talking about comps, and the name that kind of hangs around him People will say, well, he's not Evan Mobley. He kind of has Evan Mobley's role, but he's not as good as Evan Mobley. And I said, yes, this is true. Evan Mobley is like, you know how I feel about Evan Mobley. He's the truth. But I, I think what gets missed in that conversation is, let's not forget people were sleeping on Evan Mobley all of last year. He went three in the draft. And maybe people are sleeping on Chet for the same reasons because they're similar types of players. So just because he's not as good as Evan Mobley doesn't mean he can't be number one player in this year's draft. Because if the bar is yeah, because Evan Mobley, then pretty much nobody ever is going to jump that one. Yeah, and we we sort of have a way of praising players who who come into their college situation and take over, and that they are dominant and they want the rock in the last minute and things like that. And like it's like maybe there is some virtue in just blending in and being malleable to a team concept. I mean, it, it's kind of, we, we do have a tendency to talk out of both sides of our mouth with that kind of thing. Uh, so it's going to be, it's going to be a really fun draft discussion. I love that this stuff is starting to like heat up because this is my, my favorite, like us figuring this okay, out. Okay. Actually. Yeah. I think one thing with Chad, we should talk about before we get out of here. Okay. You kind of asked me about his offensive role to go back to that. I do wonder and this is something I'm really starting to believe more and more as time goes on. And maybe I'll write about this at some point. Is I do think when you've got a tall, jump-shooting big man, the temptation is to make him a three-point shooter. And I don't think that's actually the way to go. So, really? Okay. As a, as a Dallas guy, you want to know how many threes Dirk took in his NBA career? It's a lot fewer than you would think. Well, the game changed a lot over that course of time. Of course, he was a pioneer. Sure. 
I'd be curious about sure. like relative to the mean, how many he took, but how many did he take? But he only he his highest ever was four point six. He was like four point nine one year. He never took more than five a game. And yes, the mean accelerated, but I don't think putting Dirk further and further away from the basket would have done him much good. I think Dirk was great because he had that mid post game. Like Dirk went a lot of ways as a taller Carmelo Anthony. Oh yeah. That's what made him so great. It wasn't shooting threes. It was I'm getting the ball at 15 feet, backing you down, and, you know, the Dirk fadeaway shot. That's the area of the floor, I think. Because I think when you're seven feet tall, seven foot one, KD too. KD don't shoot a ton of threes, right? You, you would assume, right, oh, KD's going to shoot threes every single time. It's the same kind of thing. KD has always resisted taking threes. And I think that's because Dirk and KD are, like, crazy smart players. They know how to leverage their skills. And what makes them great is at seven feet tall, they can... Like, because when you're seven feet tall, the mid-range is open to you, oh, yeah. right? That's the thing I think people understand. When you're that tall, the mid-range is like a layup because you're just shooting over guys. There's no one in the way to you for the basket. And then you can leverage your size. Okay, if I'm a mid-range shooter, then you play up on me, then it's one dribble to the rim. And I think sometimes a guy like Katz, an example for me, I feel like Katz sometimes, and which is weird to say because I remember I, used, I read a big article like a couple of years ago and I was like, Katz, great three-point shooting, future of the game. But I think he takes too many threes because with Katz, you, you watch him sometimes, he'll pump thick off the three and it's this really long lumbering thing to the basket. It's not very graceful. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> he's more agile than he should be, but you're, you're right. It's not like the most efficient, effective thing for sure. Like it's not necessary. You're seven feet tall. Either shoot a 12-foot shot, take one dribble, and shoot a layup. That's all you got to do. Yeah. And I guess to, to bring it all around, that's where I'd want to see Chet make his, mo- make his money. Kind of yeah. what Mobley does now. Mobley takes like two or three threes a game. Even he's playing with Jared Allen. And I think, and for as high as I was on Mobley, I didn't think he'd be this good with a traditional center. But I think if you are got great touch and you're a good passer, you can make it work in tighter spaces. Yeah. And I think Chet can do the same thing. I'd want to see Chet playing at 15 to 18 feet and going to the basket. Yeah, the dual big thing works if you have if you can space and kind of complement each other with the passing. Like, yeah, the ball can come through you, or you can space for them. A couple, just a couple notes to sort of put a put a bow on this. We we're talking about the shooting. It's not quite there yet because even off of like in spot up situations where he is shooting with no dribble, he's four for 17 on the season. So he's more of a hypothetical shooter than I can believe. I don't have his like earlier high school or like. Um, I, I know. I think he was like an Under Armour circuit player. I don't have those in front of me. Um, but an, another thing too is just being open to expand because KD and Dirk both, well, one because of the other. Dirk was open to adding that physical mid-range game. I know you've written about this in the past, and then KD actually mimicked that later on. So you do need to kind of have everything in moderation. You know, you have to be if the, you can't be leaning too heavily like Cat on one thing because if they take it away, you've got to have an answer in the playoffs. It's like Giannis is kind of running into that. So anyway, Chet Holmgren, I mean, super fascinating player. Uh, uh, so, John, before we go, um, you know, you've had uh, a hell of a year. I mean, you you had um, talk a little bit about your journey. You know, if, for people that don't know, John got diagnosed with uh, a, a form of Ewing sarcoma, right, which is a rare type for adults. Yeah. Um, give People ask a lot. They want to know how you're doing. Uh, uh, give us an update how you're doing. Okay, yeah. So it's uh, actually, it's a Ewing's-like sarcoma. Oh, okay, so okay. Ewing's sarcoma is its own thing. What I have is even rarer than that. Um, I was diagnosed in, I guess, late, late April of 2020. I did a six-month course of chemo treatment. I finished that in November. And I'm feeling pretty good. So when I was diagnosed, I had like, they said, I was, it's called stage four because it had spread throughout my body when they found it. So they, I had, they call it an innumerable number of tumors. So I went through my chemo treatment. They said, we're going to stop for a while, see how it went. I got rescanned again right after Christmas. Unfortunately, I've had a few come back, which means I'll be going back into chemo pretty soon. I don't expect it'll impact much with the pod. We'll see. I will keep y'all informed about that. But I'll be going back into chemo in the next couple of weeks and going, I think, at least for another four or five months of another round of treatment. All right. Uh, well, 
you know, we're obviously we're pulling for you. Um, love, love uh, talking hoops. You're one of my favorite people to talk hoops with. And I enjoy doing this show. And, you know, if uh, I'm sure, you know, reach out to Charks and, uh, you know, we're, we're all pulling for you, you know, and uh, I know I am. My, my wife and I are, uh, are, are praying for you and, and thinking about you guys all the time. Oh, is that right? Really? I appreciate that. I know you're not much of a praying guy, so I appreciate it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, literally. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> well, I you knew. said it. I, didn't, I wasn't going to say it. Anytime, anytime we, we get, we broach that, you <laughs> you always do that to me. <laughs> oh, God. I'm like turning well, it I Well, it means a anyway. lot to me that you would. And I no, definitely man. appreciate tons of folks have reached out, said they're praying. It means a lot. I've gotten a ton of support, more than I really expected through this whole process. And it does mean a lot to me. And I appreciate it. However you channel the positivity of the universe, throw it John's way. And, and uh, we appreciate there you guys go. listening and, and uh, subscribe and listen to all the Ringer NBA shows. Stay tuned. They're going to keep coming uh, because basketball is really going to be ramping up here in the spring. And it's, it's very good. And uh, uh, we appreciate you. Uh, you follow me on Twitter. Follow John on Twitter. Follow our work on YouTube, on TheRinger.com. And uh, we will uh, we'll catch oh, you. One more thing, I think, before <laughs> we close off the chat. Okay. And I think. I, I forgot to mention this. And Should I just redo the whole thing. outro? No, no, no. It's okay. fine. What's hard with Chet, too, on top of everything else, is Gonzaga's now moved from non-conference play, where they play all the elite teams, basically. Now they're into conference play in the West Coast Conference. So on top of it, it's going to be even hard to evaluate Chet because their big games now are like BYU, St. Mary's, University of San Francisco. Just not schools, a lot of NBA prospects, a lot of NBA big men. So that makes it even more complicated. With Chet, really, it might be the NCAA tournament before we really get to see him against elite competition again. So yeah. that's just one more variable to keep in mind. Like, you'll be watching Chet on ESPN. He'll be playing some people you've never even heard of, most likely, if you've watched him for a couple months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's – or if a school has, like, a COVID cancellation. I've heard some discussion of that. Maybe even Kentucky. That would be pretty fun. But, uh, yeah, maybe even the tournament. So there's there's your homework to look forward to on Chet and – uh but yeah, we uh, will be back next week to, to talk uh, to talk upside, to talk prospects, to talk rookies, what have you. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll catch you later, guys. Peace. All right, thanks, y'all.